Welcome back to Defender Resolves First, an unmatched podcast. We're kicking it in Season 2. I'm here with my co-host, the ever-sexy Big Mike, Sidious256. What's going on, Big Mike? Well, you know that we got the great episode coming in for you today. We got to go over some good stuff. We got some rules. We got to put down the rule book on people. Basically, if you haven't figured it out, we're going to be talking about rules today. Everything is great. What do you think, John? Oh, I'm super excited. Mike, you know, you're a world traveler. I feel like every time we do this podcast, you're somewhere else. So where are you today? Today, I'm in the PFT lab of my job. So uh, pulmonary function testing lab. It's the only place I could really be more private than anywhere else. Um, I'm the only respiratory therapist on at my hospital right now. So if I have to ditch out of here real quick, then the listeners don't hear me again. That's why. Otherwise, I plan okay. to stay the whole episode, and I'm in sunny California on the beach. Ooh, nice. I am in North Dakota, where it is still fucking cold. Oh, can I not say the F word? You can edit that out. It's still very cold. It's April 19th. I'm sick of this. Um, okay, so joining us today from another coast, we've got Mr. Gary M. Gary, how's it going? Where are you joining us from? Going good here in Pennsylvania, as always, except for like the three times a year they let me out to go do conventions. And uh, it, it's a little bit warmer today. It's been miserable for the past like four days. It went back to being December again in Pennsylvania. But uh, it, it's trying very, very hard to be July tomorrow. And then it's going to go back to being December on Friday. You hate to see it, guys. I don't know what's going on, man. I, this is my last winter in North Dakota. Um, so when you guys... Uh, hear my dulcet tones coming through your speakers in season three in theory i'll be in warm sunny florida um and this this winter has made sure i will not miss this godforsaken place <laughs> we have had the most snowfall on record in bismarck and we had the first march in recorded history where the temperature did not get high enough to hit 40 degrees i I'm over it. Um, it's it's like the laws, the rules of nature are, are changed, which is a great transition um, because the rules of Unmatched are now changed. Isn't that right, Gary? Yes. Yes, it is. All right. So here's the thing. Uh, what's up with the new rules? I know that there is a pinned message in the Discord. So why don't you talk to us about that? What's going on? Sure. So uh, anybody who's interested, there is a pinned message in the rules questions channel of the official Restoration Games Discord uh, that has a PDF link to the upcoming core rulebook. The first time we'll be seeing that in print is in the Unmatched Adventures cooperative campaign uh, that was just up on Kickstarter. Uh, but that'll be the first set to have this new enhanced rulebook with it. And from there forward, Every set, public domain or licensed IP set, uh, doesn't make a difference. It will include that same core rulebook, and any specific rules for that set will come in their own one to two page small pamphlet. Uh, so that way they have a consistent core rulebook that comes with every single set moving forward. It doesn't change. They don't have to worry about printing errors with that or making changes to it. Um, and you could just have something that's easy and reliable. And the other win there is moving forward for tournaments and stuff like that, you can just have like five copies of that same rule book to hand out instead of handing people like 12 different rule books for different sets and hoping <laughs> you gave them the right ones. 
Um, so it's a it's a nice change production wise, and I think it's a nice change for organizers moving forward as well. You know, it's it's a kind of a nice <laughs> thing too because it, it sort of signals to me you're making a change like that, getting something uniform for future sets. To me, it speaks to the idea that like there's still a lot of longevity to the line because this isn't a change you would make at the end of the road, right? Like there's plenty more unmatched coming. Uh, to me, is what this signifies. God, I hope so. I really hope so, folks. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I can't talk about a whole lot of it, but uh, there's plenty in the pipeline for the next two years that I've seen, and I've heard rumblings about stuff that's out further than that. And there's some there's some cool stuff coming. Um, they're definitely still pushing the envelope on what the game can do in a couple of regards. Um, but with the core rulebook, uh, a big impetus for that was you know the just uh, Justin, Brian, and Noah had uh, done some work on the rules behind the scenes, Brian and Noah in particular, on looking at, okay, you know, how can we kind of codify everything that we've done over the last three years and distill it down to a core rule book that kind of brings everything in line and sets us up to succeed in the future with designing some of these characters. It sounds great. You love to see it, as we say here on Defender Results First podcast. You'll love to see it. Now, I understand, Gary, that you have some like key points you want to hit in explaining to our listeners what these new rules are. This is just this is again, this is all stuff you can read, um, as Gary mentioned in the in the pinned uh, document and the rules channel on the Restoration Games Discord, as well as will be in print. But by the time this episode comes out, those rules won't be in <clears> print <throat> as of yet because it's still a couple months out. Um, and we just wanted to have an episode where we have an expert like Gary, talk you through it, uh, because sometimes reading is hard. Isn't that right, Mike? Mike can read. <laughs> so, so Gary, um, the first thing I know you wanted to talk about is something that we've known about for a little bit and have been talking about for months at this point, which is the uh, multi-hero rules change. What's that about? So uh, people who have been with the line for a while, if you have the first Jurassic Park set that had Muldoon and Raptors in it, you'll be familiar with the rule that uh, the raptors have an interesting interaction with Sherlock. So Sherlock has these cards, like Confirmed Suspicion, where it tells you that like it affects the opponent's hero, but it's singular. And the old ruling that was in the book for raptors at the time was that when an effect says the opponent's hero like that, if they have multiple heroes, it affects all of them. So it created this big disparity in the matchup between Raptors and Sherlock because, you know, Sherlock uses confirmed suspicion. It affects the opponent's hero, and it transitions to all three Raptors taking damage. With Teen Spirit coming out, we've gotten our first multi-hero since the Raptors. We got Cloak and Dagger as a dual hero. And with the Jurassic Park sets going out of print since the license has elapsed, they took the opportunity to update that rule in such a way that it makes more sense in the world that they're designing now uh, with different balances in play and a little bit more clarity on where the game is going and what the game's rules need to be. So Teen Spirit's rulebook has the updated rule, which is what is in effect moving forward. And that is, if an effect tells you to affect the opponent's hero, like Confirm Suspicion does, then what it does is instead of it affecting all of the heroes for a multi-hero fighter, the person who is controlling the multi-hero fighter gets to pick which single hero it affects. 
So now, instead of Sherlock's confirmed suspicion hitting all three raptors, the raptor player gets to choose which one raptor gets affected by it. So it puts all the control in their hands instead. And what's interesting is it also extends to one other Sherlock card, which is Master of Disguise, which is the one where Sherlock swaps with the opposing hero, um, and then they take one damage. In this case now, Sherlock no longer gets to choose which raptor he swaps with. The raptor player chooses, which can put Sherlock in a really dangerous position. But it really gives... Oh, I love that. Yeah, it really gives the raptor players and the cloak and dagger players, and uh, maybe maybe a different character coming sometime soon, the opportunity to have a little bit more control <laughs> over how their damage is getting dealt out across their health pool multi-hero upcoming uh tease you heard it here first there was a tease there was a tease fuck you sherlock that's all i gotta say (laughs) now now i gotta move out of pa before suze finds me (laughs) the suze copter is coming i can hear (laughs) the the blades now um so it kind of makes the raptors like a viable pick now into sherlock because a lot of those things really buff them yeah, for sure. I'm not the best at that matchup, but I've talked to Zero Skater and some other people about it before. And honestly, it used to be kind of a coin flippy matchup to begin with, because the Raptors can just put out so much consistent pressure if they get a good early draw. Um, I don't know how extensively it's been tested, but now that that is in effect, it's almost that the Raptors are a strict counter to Sherlock, is what I'm given to understand. Yeah. That's pretty dope. I like that. I, I agree. I think Sherlock and Raptors are just not going to get along well in the fact that, you know, the one of the reasons that it was so good was if you took Eviscerate, which has a kind of a higher boost, all the Raptors took that damage. Now that you're solidifying it onto one, you know, it's not like it's going to kill the, you know, the jumpy boy. It's going to, oh, the turn head is still at full health. Well, he could take the damage. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to get him out of yeah. pin which is what I think a lot of Sherlock players did, was they were like, oh, this one's at two health. I'm just going to confirm this card that has a two boost, kill the one next to me, and maneuver away, which is, you know, a great, great, great option. And the way that Sherlock would actually win that matchup most of the time is he'd have to do something crazy like that. But now that that's off the table, um, I'm just just a happy man. That's all. Yeah, man. Sherlock might be one smart cookie, but he's no match for three clever girls. Hey, I hope we can get a sound effect in for the uh, little snare drum. Because <laughs> um, that was uh, pretty bad. Um, so, okay, beyond that, the next big thing, beyond the multi-hero thing, was the, the new empty placement change, if I'm correct? Right. So the first one that we're going to be talking about in the new rule book is that they've codified that all placement effects, which by extension includes effects that summon a fighter or effects that return a fighter to the board. Uh, So it'll affect Robin Hood's uh, defensive card, uh, Defenders of Sherwood. Uh, It'll affect Mm -hmm. Yanenga's two cards that bring back her archers because those both count as return effects. Um, And it uh, applies to things like Wukong's clones, uh, Squirrel Girl's squirrels, which we'll get into. They're kind of a different beast. But yeah, basically (laughs) some cards in the game 
had explicitly stated that it had to be an empty space. So for example, disengage would allow you to move your fighter into another empty space in your zone. So you couldn't stay in the space you were in. Um, but now that applies at the core level with all placement effects, whether it's written on the card or not. So a couple of things change in respect to that. Um, the biggest one that people were talking about, of course, is Jekyll and Hyde's pure evil. Uh, that's his scheme where he deals two damage to everyone adjacent to him. It used to be a really common strategy with Hyde to pure evil in place, because you yeah. you could place him in any space in his zone, which by the normal rules before this would allow you to basically pick him up and put him right back in the space he's in. So basically, he would just stomp the ground and deal two damage to everyone around him. Now, yeah. however you have to have another space viable to put him into. So if you're in a hallway fight with Jekyll and Hyde, and you have your sidekick standing behind you, Hyde can no longer pure evil the person standing in front of him. He would have to hop to another space that's open. And if there isn't another space open, he can't do it. The damage won't happen. That is uh, brutal for a character that probably did not need to <laughs> get her anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Why are we hitting him? He's already effect. dead. <laughs> <laughs> He's already dead. Yeah, so um, there's a couple so of cards. That's like the biggest one, right? But um, can you think of any like other big options that might, that might hit other than Jekyll? Yeah, so the ones that happen on attack, I think, are a little bit more impactful because the defensive ones, if you're playing a card like that on defense, like Electra's Ninjutsu in her deck, um, that allows you to place in any space, but of course, you're, if you're playing it on defense, you're probably going to play it and then run away. So it hardly even matters with those cases. But on attack, if you're playing that card, since it's a versatile, if you're playing that card as your first attack and you want to follow up with a second attack, it's not an optional ability. So if you're in another hallway situation like that and you attack with ninjutsu, you are forced to teleport away from your adjacency and now you can't make a follow-up attack. Uh, the same thing is true with uh, Cloak and Dagger's Dark Force Dimension. Uh, it makes the opponent's fighter be placed in another space. And again, it's not optional. So if you open with that as your first attack, you have to be able to put them in another space that's a viable spot to hit them from if you want to follow up with a second attack. Otherwise, you're literally hitting them so hard you throw them away and you have to maneuver after that or play a scheme. Dang. Okay. Um, I think probably the biggest one, other than pure evil for people, is T-Rex's ripples in the water. Um, and the big factor with that is it's the same thing. Sometimes you would want to have Rex ripple in place to hit the zones she's in. What's kind of mean is Rex taking up two spaces in most cases locks you out of both of them for placement. So it's not like you could take her and put her head in the tail space and put her tail in an empty space. You have to get her out of both of those spaces. Neither one is legal for the placement. That's uh, that's brutal for sure. And uh, I, th and I think that that actually already had some impact in the uh, the team league season. Um, there was like a ripples case that they they couldn't ripple in place, and so there had to be like a rulings call. Uh, on yeah. It and, uh, 
Yeah, it actually ended up uh, being better for one side than the other, actually, for the T-Rex, because the ripples couldn't be done in place to take a card. So what they did was they ripples away onto two traps, causing a double draw, which actually led to an exhaustion game. Um, you don't see T-Rex winning the exhaustion much, but she basically did. Um, that's just uh, sometimes how it goes, I guess. Yeah. So what's it doing to um, Squirrel Girl? You mentioned that they, you would, that there was something going on there. Yeah, so there's been a lot of questions around Squirrel Girl. Um, part of that is because there were some misprints in the rules book for how her squirrel placement works uh, versus what it says on her card. Uh, so there's a little bit of confusion there. But basically what it all boils down to is since squirrels are small fighters, they don't really obey that empty space rule because you can place a squirrel in a space that has another fighter on it. You're allowed to do that because they're small fighters. The only time you can't place a squirrel in that space is if there's already four small fighters in it. So that's what makes a space not empty for the squirrels. So if you have three squirrels standing on a space with Jekyll and Hyde, for example, you can place a fourth squirrel on that space. But squirrel girls, small small fighters still count as fighters for everyone else so any fighter that tries to place in a space they can't target a space that already has a squirrel because that is not empty for them that could be really fun for a squirrel girl versus yunenga yeah right? sure can to, to block the um that three value instant immediate attack i can't think of what it's called right now but it brings your archer back yeah, I think it's surprise volley. Surprise volley. Yeah, <clears throat> that one. You know, if you place your squirrels cleverly, cleverly, yeah, then then that they, they you can get attacked with that, and it won't matter. There's nowhere to put the archer. Yeah, there's yeah, some interesting implications with Squirrel Girl. What about a lot what about players. like uh, what about like let's say that Sattler has an insight, or Invisible Man has a fog, or Muldoon has a trap. You can place a squirrel on top of it. Hence, can you place a squirrel on top of a trap that's popping the trap? Is the real question, I guess. Yes, you can place squirrels in instances like that. Basically, the only time you can't place a squirrel is if there's four squirrels in that space. That's the only thing that locks it out. Well, there you go. I mean, that's that's big news. I think, you know, Squirrel Girl was, I think, fairly lower mid-tier. Um, I would even be say, safe to, I wouldn't safe to say, but I personally believe she's kind of lower tier. Um, this might change that. Uh, I think definitely she has some footing now in a couple matchups. Um, although I already think she does decent into Muldoon, which is, I think, going to be relevant because Muldoon's slowly coming back as a better fighter. Um, but that's a talk for another time. So... Just glad to hear Squirrel Girl's getting something out of this is all. Chad really thinks people are sleeping on Squirrel Girl. I mean, the general consensus in the Discord to me seems to be that people think that she's like kind of useless. Uh, but yeah, Chad is like a huge proponent of people are not playing her right or not utilizing her, you know, spacing advantages properly. Chad picked so. up the deck, showed me all the cards. I read them. I knew what was coming and I couldn't stop what was happening with Chad Squirrel Girl at one point. So that's that's all I got to say about Chad Squirrel Girl. He's onto something. It's like he he was very telegraphed in what he was doing and it was like so what are you going to do about it? And I lost. So that, that was it. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that would then bring us scary to perhaps the new ruling that has made the most noise 
which is the uh, end of game rule state change. Yeah, I think this is probably the most divisive thing that's ever happened with the game. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's that's actually like not hyperbolic to say. I, I yeah. think that you're right. Yeah, so the big change with that is the, the way that the game was always played up until this change was as soon as you reduce your opponent's last hero to zero health, the game instantaneously ends. And it was a factor in some cases where the big example is Beowulf. Beowulf's Grendel he could spend the two rage and deal damage to you equal to your printed value immediately. And if that killed you, the game ended there, and Beowulf didn't have to worry about defending against the rest of the damage you were going to hit him with. So Arthur could sling Excalibur at him, and Beowulf could Grendel and deal six and kill Arthur, and the game ends right there, and Beowulf doesn't have to care. However, what this change <laughs> does is it normalizes effect resolution across combat in the entire game. And I'll get into why in a second. But okay. what it does is now, no matter if your hero dies, um, you finish out the resolution for that entire combat. So what would happen now is, I, I'm playing Arthur, I play Excalibur, boosted with Noble Sacrifice, so it's a 9 that's coming. Beowulf knew it was coming, so he defends with Grendel, spends the 2 Rage. Beowulf deals 6 damage to Arthur immediately. Let's just say Arthur dies. He's at 0 or negative health. The game does not end. Now Beowulf has to defend against that 9 with his 2. Is it a 2 or a 3? Three? 3. 3? Okay. So yeah. he eats 6 to the face over that, and let's say Beowulf dies. And now we have no after combat effect to process, so we're done with combat. Well, they're both at zero or negative health, but the catch-all rule is if it's your turn and both fighters die, you win. So now Arthur as the attacker has basically cut right through Beowulf, did not care that Beowulf tore both of his arms off, because you already put the sword in him. <laughs> so now... The way it resolves out is Beowulf dies and takes the loss, whereas in the old rules, Arthur would have died and taken the loss. And this really comes into play any time the attacker is going to defeat the defender in a scenario where they could also be defeated. So basically, what it's doing is the very last attack of the game the attacker can be more aggressive than they could under the old rules because they don't have to worry as much about getting punished to death. A great example of this could be our wonderful Sinbad hitting Voyage to the Apes to kill Sherlock, even though Sherlock did counterpunch, and they were both at two health. And let's say that for some reason there's no other voyages, whatever the case may be, and Sherlock would normally win that. And now, as I stated before, fuck you, Sherlock. I just really hate you sometimes. And honestly, you need to be toned down a little bit. And that's not a, not a hate on restoration. I love everything you guys put out. I don't think there's anything too terrible. Um, just Sherlock's little needs needs to be put down a little. That's all I'm saying. And I'm glad that he's getting it in some way. Oh, 
how does this impact double attacks? So double attacks are interesting, and it's something that we talked about quite a bit behind the scenes. Um, we actually, they actually had posted all these rules for the competitive focus group to review, uh, much like how they're reviewing a final pass on all the fighters now that come out of testing before they go into final production. So they pitched these rules to us and basically had, it's like nine, ten of the best tournament players dissecting them for interactions. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that we found out was double attacks got kind of funky with this. So the way double attacks used to work was the double attack would go off unless the defender died. And then the, the second part of the double attack wouldn't happen. So like if Achilles killed you, if Achilles killed your sidekick, for example, on the first hit of test for weakness, cause he's enraged, then he wouldn't do the, the follow-up on it because the sidekick died. Uh, it gets a little bit scary when you start talking about if Achilles dies on the last attack of the game, everything still resolves. Because what you could have happen was Achilles attacks with test for weakness enraged. The opponent basically partially blocks the first hit, right? So they, they, they block that three with a regroup. Achilles draws, draws a card, overdraws, and dies. And now zombie Achilles throws a five at you that you have to soak. And you have to soak that. And then if Achilles hits you, he draws another card and extra dies. But if he kills you in the process, he wins the game. And what we realized very quickly was it's terrifying with Achilles because he can put this insane pressure out at the end of the game with this, where you're basically like, I have to soak eight damage no matter what. It doesn't matter what I do to Achilles. It doesn't matter if I run away. It, it doesn't matter if I bewilderment the first hit. Like, I have to yeah. account for soaking eight total damage against my health pool. Otherwise, I lose the game no matter what. And then you look at Yanenga, and it's like, it's six damage from range. And then you look at Mary, and it becomes, okay, this is her third action. Is she throwing speak three times for a seven? Or is she throwing her double attack at me? And whatever I defend with, she's even if I kill her, even if I'm playing Little Red and I kill her with uh, my three after combat damage, is she now immediately going to follow up with another attack that kills me? And it was just one yeah. of those things where it's like, oh man, this is, this is gross. Uh, and we talked it over <laughs> with them and they're like, you know what? We already have the rule that like makes double attacks different. If the defender dies, you don't process it. So they changed it so that if either fighter dies, the double attack doesn't process. So if you kill Achilles um, and he tests for weakness, you do not get hit with the second half. Similarly... Well, that's good. Yeah. Similarly, if Pat throws it at you and you kill Pat, Pat doesn't throw the second half because the attacker died. And this comes as a sort of backdoor nerf to Wukong, because it means if a clone throws tricked you now, it's a zero up front. So if you think the clone's throwing that, you have a guaranteed safe defense by throwing Wily Fighting or something similar into yeah, it. Yeah, Wily, yep, yep. Yep, because it doesn't matter that he tricks you into playing a defense and now he's going to follow up with a four because you killed the clone. So nothing happens. Yeah. So it, it undermined Wukong in a very interesting way. 
Oh, I love that for my boy Robin Hood, who probably did not need any more utility to his kit versus Wukong, but we'll take it. Right? Like, You're dang right, he'll take it. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, I'll take it gladly. That's, that's my boy. That's my boy Green. Um, okay, yeah. cool. So, what was the inciting incident, would you say? Like, um, I know that this is so, sort of involved in what the future of this game might look like, so you might not be able to get into specifics because they could be spoilery, but like, w- uh, what would you say is the reason we moved to having this endgame rule established? So there's two parts to it. Um, there's a big part and a little part. The little part is that when they were developing new decks, they were continuously running up against this thing where they had to do these overly specific wordings, we'll say, to deal with anything that could interact with the end of the game. And a good example of that is Houdini's card, where he heals health even if you defeated him. Okay. The card totally works within the old rule set. There's nothing wrong with it because we've had cards before that have like parenthetical text like that that break the normal game rules. We have it with Little Red's attack that she can play as a defense. Um, stuff mm-hmm. like that already existed that were breaking the core rules of the game. Um, however, there there are other effects that they've played around with in the past that they ultimately cut. And it was just becoming this recurring thing of, oh, we have to remember that if the game ends in the middle of this card effect processing, this other thing doesn't happen that could affect things. And I wouldn't say it came up a lot, and that's why it's the little factor in it, but it came up enough that it's like, boy, maybe we should do something about this. The big factor is, in the old game, before this rules change, If you defeated a sidekick that was attacking you, their after-combat effects still went off. So if it's a Wily fighting, they've left the board. They don't deal damage to you. But if it was an exploit, the player that was controlling them still draws a card. So that effect was still happening. And in a free-for-all game or a 2v2 game, if not all the heroes have been defeated, the effect still processes. So 1v1 was actually the exception to the rule. In 1v1, the last attack of the game functioned differently than every other attack in the game. And that's where they kind of drew that line in the sand. Um, And it's not something they chose arbitrarily. Uh, I know Mike can speak to this a little bit because uh, he's done the demoing as well. But the most common rules mistake we get at tournaments when we are teaching players is they make a decision towards the end of the game where they think that their effect is going to resolve and cause what would be a draw state because they've killed their opponent even though they died. And the game trains them that that is going to be acceptable because earlier in the game, they kill a sidekick and its effect still goes off. So it was this continuous point of confusion for new players. And I know the competitive community hates to hear it, but like we're a fraction of a fraction. So when we're talking about the overall playability of the game and just people being able to pick it up like at a a pub for a game night or being able to grab it at Barnes & Noble and go home and throw it on the table with two or three friends, it's important that that stuff is consistent and we minimize the amount that they have to go online and search out BoardGameGeek or go to Reddit or find Discord and get answers to questions like that. 
do you think that they were anticipating how loud the reaction was to this change? I don't I think they had an idea that there would be a reaction, but nothing to this degree. Especially regarding Beowulf, I think a lot of people got it twisted up that somehow they saw this as a specific targeted nerf to Beowulf that was being done maliciously when it basically had no impact on the process whatsoever. Like the whole thing with Beowulf was basically a footnote where it was basically like, oh yeah, this happens. Yeah. It's like just the the the, the opinion is play Grendel sooner. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's what I was getting at is you don't hang on to Grendel anymore as a Beowulf. Let's say you might. Um I, I just say like uh I don't think it's anywhere near targeted like people thought. I I make the joke all the time. I think when we opened the season I made a joke. <laughs> yeah. The I mean we 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 the end game. Unless, but, yeah, I mean, our whole podcast name has been Nerf. That's the biggest change That's the to biggest us. change is that our podcast name is Nerf. But, uh, no, I I, uh, I don't think it's anywhere as bad as people think. And You know, now you just play around it, right? Like, it just changes. I don't even think it changes the meta. Let's be real. Is Beowulf a super high-tier fighter? No. Is he a great fighter? Yes. Does it change the fact that he's still going to poo on Dracula? Absolutely not. He's still going to poo on Dracula. I was first hand on that. Um, I just know that that's just, you know, you, you gotta be able to get there. You're wrong. I'm wrong? You're wrong. He's wrong. He's wrong. He says I'm wrong. I'll take my Dracula into your Beowulf any day of the week. We're gonna take it. Let's take this to the board. <laughs> we, can, we can, we can, and we can do a whole episode about it. You mean like a drinking episode about it? Like perhaps a drinking episode? Like a YouTube VOD about it? Like, that would be pretty crazy. All I can't right, imagine can something like that is we on the schedule for this season. What, what's that your... would be That what? would be nuts if we were doing something like that literally next week. Literally next on, week. <laughs> on the YouTubes, on episode four. That'd be crazy. Oh, be cra- no, man. I'm expecting to see a specific <laughs> opening move out of Dracula. I'm going to be sad if I don't oh, see it. Oh, can you imagine? Kill the sister. Boost in. Hit the ambush. That's it, baby. And you're going to be taking a shot when I do. We're going to make it happen, Captain. We're going to make it happen. We've talked about the end of game uh, change. We're going to rewind. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning to the start of game now. uh, Because there's one more big rule you wanted to talk about tonight, Gary. And it has to do with the start of game placement. So what is the dealio? Right, so uh, it doesn't affect 1v1, so all the competitive players can can tune out and go back to drinking over Beowulf now. (laughs) Incredible. (sighs) But for for those of us that enjoy 2v2 and free-for-all, this is kind of a zany change. And I, I talk to them about it, and I'm like, you guys realize what this does, right? And they're like, yeah. But, you know, it just it cleans up other stuff, so it sticks. So, in the old rules of the game, if you were ever in a situation where you couldn't place all your fighters in your zone because somebody else had placed into your zone uh, but when they placed sooner, like you're placing fourth, and this can happen on, uh, I think, a couple of maps, but the specific one that I always like is bronze. In 2v2 on bronze and in free-for-all, if a character with 
four sidekicks like Robin Hood places in spot two, they can pressure spot four's placement so that if they have basically any more than one fighter, their fighters won't fit in their zone. So the way that the old rules handled this was, you know, you place those fighters in your zone. And if you can't, you place them in a space adjacent to one of your other fighters. And if you can't, you place them in a space adjacent to your zone that you should have been able to place in. And it was just like this cascade effect of, well, you do it like this if this doesn't work out. And honestly, it was just, it was kind of messy. And they always like to go with the one clean single rule, even if it makes things a little bit crazy in a couple of circumstances. And boy, does it make them crazy. Because the new rule is, if you can't fit all your fighters in your zone, you get to put them anywhere you want. Anywhere on the whole map? Anywhere on the whole map, buddy. So, Mike and I, in the 2v2 tournament, had actually done this, uh, running Robin Hood and Raptors. Because you run Robin Hood on 2 and Raptors on 4 if you get to pick placement. Robin Hood places on 2, pressures the Raptors. You can only place one Raptor in player 4's starting zone. Now, under the old rules, that would let you place your other Raptors along that northern passageway so that you had, like, one or two more spaces that were closer to player 1 for the Raptors to really close in on them and aggress on their first turn. Now, however... If you pressure the rafters in like that, they get to place their other two rafters anywhere on the board, which is funny because if player three is playing a solo fighter, that means the rafters get to start them pinned. Yo, watch out, baby. Here it comes. Here it comes. That's pretty There's fun. There's going to be some clever girls. <laughs> That's it. Now, here's the real question. Let me, let me throw a curveball at you. Let me throw a curveball at you, Jerry. Um, I actually don't know if this has been um, on the rule ruling yet or not. Say you do that with Robin Hood, and you can only start one person in that space. What happens with T Rex? Because you have to take two spaces. Uh, I think in that case, they, what they would pro what they would probably say is you get to place the T Rex anywhere, on the, anywhere on the board. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Because they, they've made the precedent of not breaking the rule that she would have to be in both spaces. So I think the T-Rex just has to go wherever she wants. Can you imagine? Just start turn one, pin somebody in with T-Rex, and it's like, all right, good luck. <laughs> Gonna open with That's a terrifying amazing. roar and then thrash. <laughs> yeah, can you just, Christ. My God. T-Rex just pulling a Rorschach and Watchman. <laughs> I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me. Yeah. <laughs> just like ready to go. That's that is super zany. I love it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm very very ready for all these wonderful changes to go through. Yeah. Do you have? I think that was all the big ones, right, Gary? Like that was everything you wanted to cover. Yeah, I think that checks all the boxes that I had. Oh, man. Two weeks in a row, we've had Gary on the Defend Resolve's first podcast. Uh, I feel like you've got to be sick of us by now. Yeah, sorry, Gary. No, not quite. Once I finish up the patches, you can bring me back for that. 
We would love to. There we go. We'll do the patches and another fan se- deck. See where the fan decks went off too by then. Season three or season four exclusive for sure, depending on where you're at with them. Um, cool. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Happy to be here. <laughs> this is great. Um, so everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, again, send some appreciative thoughts to Gary, who does a lot of work behind the scenes and making sure that these rules can be communicated efficiently and, you know, just helping make sure that they make sense. So we're, we're appreciative, Gary. Not a problem. I want to give a shout out to Snuggles and Wandering Caretaker for doing the heavy lifting of managing the rules archive and the new rules library that we have in the Discord to make searching a little bit easier. It's they, very nice. Uh, they do a lot of maintenance on that. Very nice. That's very the thing. Nice. Snuggles, you know, number one in my heart. It's a Defender Resolves first exclusive. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. All right, well... Thanks for coming on. Mike, you got anything to, to throw out there? No, I, I, don't, I don't think so, John, unless you got any questions for me. Uh, at the time of recording this, I'm like six hours out of watching The Mandalorian Season 3 finale, and I was disappointed, and I'm just putting that out there. The you know, I, I've, I said it, too. I said it in the Discord. I'm not too sure how I, if I enjoyed it or not. Um, I'm leaning more towards not as a big picture, but as a small picture, I enjoyed the episode very much while I was watching it. Um, if I could say it like that. I think that's that's how I want to point that out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. While watching it, I was like, this is the most thrilling shit I've ever seen in my entire life. And then um, the credits rolled. And I was kind of like, well, <laughs> what? I don't really know how we got yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I, but, I'm with you, man. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it ties into Unmatched because today, Fooder Duder Gooder Maneuver Man guy dropped a, a YouTube video with the Mandalorian fan deck featured in it. So that's that's my that's my tie. And I love his <laughs> I love his profile because he's he's quite hilarious and you know what? Sketching more comedy. I forgot who did it. Um and I apologize to the person who made it if you're listening. Somebody did a Arthur episode with um like like a bunch of people um like searching for king arthur remember that and yeah. then oh he did so the stick funny. figures Who with john that? and i just freaking loved it when he did the spoon it was so <laughs> funny this was like a year two years ago i can't remember who did it either i feel like he dropped that video and then dipped or am i completely I think, mistaken I, we could be mistaken and again i do apologize for that whoever did create the video but we need more content like that and the fact that Fooder do gooder is coming up with us for that and the Maneuver Men franchise. I love it. I only want more. I gotta I gotta we're doing a little we're doing a search. We're doing, we're a, doing search. a search because we gotta get the shout We gotta out shout you guy. out, brother. We gotta shout you out. But is it the proving King Arthur is a top tier video by rematched? That's it. That's ago? it. I think so. All right, just type in "Proving King Arthur is a top tier" on YouTube. It's uh, sitting at 1.1k views. Let's. Those are rookie numbers. Rookie, Let's pump those, those numbers up. Those numbers up. Pump those be numbers real. Up. If you've All seen right. it, just rewatch it for another good laugh. Let's be real. That's it's such yeah. a good video. That's terrific, Gary. You got anything else you want to plug? I know last week all of our listeners got to hear about the fantastic playtesting guild, um, but. Anything new? <laughs> um, I don't know that there's much to plug. We are in the panel selection process for that now, so we got all those submissions. We got a total of 44 decks submitted. Uh, it's like oh wow, that's a lot. I think it's 23 Mothman and 21 Martian Invader somewhere around there. Oh, um, that's dope. Yeah, there's there's a lot to go through, and uh, 
people are already asking us for them and we just keep telling people it's it's probably going to be a couple of weeks because we got a panel of nine people that have me, to go through all of these have you let me ask you this first part one of two questions have you seen mm -hmm. any of them yet that's part one I have glanced at one or two during my break when I am not working an absurd amount for my day job. Yes, and I do know you are working an absurd amount, so we do thank you for your time. Um, two, did anything jump out at you like, oh, this is going to be sweet, or is it not there yet? And that's not shooting anybody I, else out. You know, We're not going to give names or anything, but was there anything that made you go, wow? I don't know. I haven't gone through them significantly yet. I glanced at one or two, and I think that people did a, from what I'm seeing so far, I think people did a good job of answering the design challenge that we put out there. I think what we're going to run into is we might be a little hard-pressed to hone some of these decks in. Uh, some of them have some really wildly cool ideas, but at the end of the day, we have to make them compartmentalized enough to fit in a normal deck and be, you know, close to Restoration's level of delivery, where it's like, you could throw this deck at someone on the street and have them be able to play it in like 10 minutes. Absolutely. So I think there's some things that we'll have to rein in. I think there are some cool ideas floating out there, though, and I'm pretty sure that we're going to be able to pull three of each that are a little bit different from each other. Uh, and kind of present those options to the community to see what direction they want to take it in. Very excited. Dope. All right. Let's hear it. Well, Gary, thank you so much. Of course. I hope you get your summer back in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, it's that time. It is. It is. You know what we say here on the podcast. It's time well, to you know, John. Oh. What's that, Gary? One more time? <laughs> it's time to take over the world? Time to take over <laughs> Pinky and the Brain. We're Pinky and the... Anyway, no, uh, I don't want to get copyrighted by Disney or whoever owns that, so uh, let's stop there. <laughs> um, on the podcast, you know that we say the Defender resolves first. Unless you're Beowulf in the endgame and defending with Grendel, and then they hit you with something over Grendel to kill you. You love to see it.